Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large, who's back in one piece from CinemaCon, the Vegas Exhibitors Conference, where everybody parties really hard and determines the future of the movie business. You survived it, I think, right? It was intense. Tell me about it. It was, it was, because what you have is this, you know, so back-to-back panels, there were 10 presentations from the from the six major studios that are signed up with the the uh, MPAA and then you had Amazon with a full presentation and STX this upcoming distributor had one and Lionsgate had one um so it was and then Focus Features broke out even though they're with Universal they did their own uh 15th anniversary one it's worth explaining what this is intended to do because people see headlines about CinemaCon, but it's not always there to generate those headlines for general consumers of you know film news. I mean, okay, there, all right. So for years, yeah, yeah, yeah. For years and years and years, they, they, the National Association of Theater Owners, which is basically uh, a, a, you know the big theater chains like AMC and Regal and everything, but it's also the the little mom and pops. It's it's about four thousand people um, who come to Las Vegas once a year. It's their convention, and the studios who supply the movies to those theaters put on these big presentations. This has been going on for decades. Um, what's different is that over uh, the years, the media has gotten into covering this. Um, when I was at Premier Magazine, we used to have like a photo booth backstage and EW still, I think, uh, has done that too. I mean, you get back there and you, if you're in the green room, you know, each, it's sort of a little bit like Comic-Con too, you know, in the sense that you have all these luminaries coming in by jet and uh you know literally getting off the plane and getting in a limo and going over to the to caesar's palace you know yeah and, but the thing is the, the difference is that comic-con started as a thing that was exclusively for artists and people who love that kind of art this was something that was it seems like it was really created with a business purpose and now it's like the the marketing element has just sort of organically emerged it must be annoying if you're just an exhibitor going who wants to just figure out okay what am i going to decide to show in my theater this year to have to deal with all this extra marketing stuff that's not necessarily you know helping them to make those determinations i would say no 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 yeah i don't think you get this um exactly um basically the the presentations are your every all the theater owners are sitting in a theater called the coliseum and there's a stage and there's a big screen and it's all this fabulous you know high-end incredible digital, sometimes 3D, sometimes Dolby Atmos, you know, it's like the highest end possible. Uh, you know, this is what they're all pushing now, you know, reclining seats and all the things that they do to enhance the theater experience. But what you have is is the heads of the studio. What Why I'm fascinated by it is that it gives you, A, a look at what the summer movies are going to be. And each studio is, in fact, putting on a show, and the marketing of of the movies is part of what the exhibitors need to do to sell the movies to their customers. So it's very educational for them. I mean, 
that putting Dwayne Johnson out there to, you know, or Hugh Jackman, you know, to, uh, or, or Amy Schumer, you know, who are the sort of greats of this group, you know, to sort of uh, exhort the exhibitors and get them all worked up and make them laugh and everything. That's part of the show in show business. But believe me, they are learning and seeing the footage, seeing the trailers, seeing the new stuff that they haven't seen before and calculating, you know, what, what they're, you know, what the movies are going to be that are going to really work for them. It's fascinating to me. And, but you see the studios in all their strength and weakness, you know, Fox looks really strong right now. They, they put on the best show of any of the studios, the studios that are in transition, like Warner brothers, which has new management and Paramount, which has new management you know, they, they put on a different kind of show. It was sort of, and Sony, you know, is still not where it needs to be. So these, they're all putting their best foot forward, hoping, you know, Disney's at the top of the food chain with all of its franchises and it could boast, you know, these extraordinary numbers and Universal is, is strong and, and doing fine. But it was, it was just really, you know, but the big, the big story was Windows, the, the big drama. But, but this isn't a new... I mean, we've been having this conversation for a few years right now. And I also think it felt like deja vu to read about Amazon reminding people that they care about theaters. They did all that before. It's Last sort of like, year, there was a big room ways, full of a, empty people. Nobody went yeah. to that presentation. It was a lunch. There's a difference between having a big, big theater presentation with all the bells and whistles and having a lunch. So they had a lunch, and they had a lunch again this year. But this year, that lunch, everybody commented on it. It was packed. They couldn't get a seat. They were all there to see what they had to offer. So that was a question of having proved themselves over the past year. Yeah. But I, but I also wonder about how the studios are feeling in the sense that you know, if you're Universal or Disney and you command so much power and so much respect for Amazon to still be seen as this kind of hip new kid on the block. I mean, there's got to be some tension there that you pick up. There's tension between the studios and Amazon, for sure. But the exhibitors are in love with Amazon. Why? They're giving them product. They're giving them stuff to play in their theaters. They gave them Manchester by the Sea, which earned almost $50 million last year and got two Oscars. So so they're, and even, you know, what's Love and Friendship and Woody Allen and all that. So they, they have, they gave them an enormous, Bob Bernie went up there and put on, you know, he brought out Charlie Hunnam for Lost City of Z, which may or may not be, you know, a big grocer for them, but it looks good. Um, And uh, he's got the new Todd Haynes movie, uh, Wonderstruck. He's got the new Woody Allen movie, Wonder Wheel. (laughs) They're all about wonder, those guys. There's another movie called The Wonder, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So uh, no, they had they had a new Mike Lee, and 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 they're going to do Don Quixote for Terry Gilliam, and you know it's just like the list of auteurs went on for for miles. Movies that they're actually going to pay for and and produce. It was pretty. And get away with it. <laughs> but the, the, the contrast between them and the and the traditional studios couldn't be more stark because here you have Amazon is a well heeled company, but the people 
at the company who are in charge of the films are some of the old school players from the American indie scene. So, you know, of course the, the you know, Warner Brothers isn't going to take a Mike Lee movie right now or something like are that. Are you kidding? And they're they're barely they're barely, you know, uh, they're they, barely they willing to make uh, who who none of the studios wanted to make the Scorsese movie. So, you know, it the the Irishman. Um so so the, the Netflix wasn't there. Of course, Netflix is a, is an absent. They would get booed off the stage. They would because yeah, when Ted Sarandos went to CinemaCon and gave a speech, he said, "I don't care about theaters to the theater." No, the irony that you're picking up on is that Amazon is more invested in the theatrical experience because they're doing indie movies. Hello, that you that need to be in theaters for a long time, that need to be branded, that need to have audience awareness built up over time. That's what theaters do. Nothing replaces four weeks of word of mouth in a theater is the old line I've never forgotten from somebody. Um, but, but, the, uh, but the point is, is that the studios are freaking out and are trying to move the windows. And that's, they tried to get the conversations going with the theater owners ahead of CinemaCon, which is why all those stories broke about it, and they uh, didn't. They did not clinch any deal. They did not come to any kind of consensus or conclusion. It's really fascinating because there are these antitrust issues, restraint of trade issues, all these things that they can't, as a group, negotiate. Each individual studio has to talk to a group of exhibitors and each individual uh, exhibitors has to talk to. Yeah. So, so somewhere in there, a model will emerge that everybody agrees on, but that is, it's so interesting. The studios are, are like, I talked to them, you know, they're, 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 and Warner brothers came out and talked to the exhibitors in front of the of the media and said, you know, we have to evolve with our audiences. This was Sue Kroll. It's just a question of, you know, how many power structures can actually evolve when you have so much at stake, so much invested in, say, the theatrical business. You can't just, you know, shift to some kind of day and date strategy or something like that. No, there's a lot of debates about that. There's like several different formats. and, And there's some good debates going on. I mean, I thought it was fascinating last year to see how much, um, that Sean Parker screening room was treated as an anathema because the very, you know, almost cavalier suggestion that, yeah, we'll just create this thing. You can watch stuff at home, no big deal. And just then we're and contemporary. there were some big filmmakers who, who supported it. But the thing is, I mean, there are arguments on both sides. The there's a, there's a group of people that think you can maybe come up with some kind of premium VOD at a very high price point and, and use all the marketing that you've been putting out for an opening, and then you can So, for example, the idea that. would be, like, put a Marvel movie out there no, before it those movies years. will never, ever, no. But those but are the, big but movies. Are those movies have to that. stay in the, the, the Here's one reality. I mean, it's really interesting. There, there's one reality that we have to remember, which is that you make more money in theaters than any other way. There is there is no replacing that income. They're way too friggin' expensive. <laughs> that's what, I mean, but that's where the money comes from. That's the true. most it's money. True. If you have a hit, you're going to keep it. In th- one of the things, by the way, Eric, that you will be happy to hear is that over and over and over again, over the course of the week, there would be a mention of Jordan Peele's uh, Get Out, 
and I mean, everybody would clap. Happy about that. I think they would clap. So cool they would all they clap. Yeah. And that is an example of something that everybody wants. And that movie is a word of mouth hit. That movie is in theaters. That movie's making money in theaters. There will never be a time that a Marvel movie goes day and date. That is not going to happen. I mean, there is a. I would. Who is if, if people who say that? If people who talk about that don't know what they're talking about because it wouldn't. But you don't happen. think? I mean, I mean, decades from now. I don't know what's going to happen in ten years, but I'm saying yes. there's a reality, which is that the theaters don't have any other way to make their money, and the other issue is that the studios are not really interested in sharing. Coming up with some new economic paradigm that right. is going to share money with, the, with the theaters. Yeah, They're not yeah. going to do that. And the theaters are, have been sort of dangled that prospect. But I, th- 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 honestly, Eric, I, I see very little sign that the, because that the, the theater owners are, are by, most of them are by nature conservative. They're not. They, it was hilarious. All the panels that were trying to show them that they should know their social media. You know, you should know your labels. <laughs> you know, yeah. get a get hip with uh, Instagram so that you can reach the I mean, millennials. Yeah. This is like South by Southwest one hundred and one. You know, right? Like, it's not. I mean, come on, guys. But those people aren't going to be around forever. At some point, there will be a new guard, and these models will ha- will be more responsive to different ways in which people consume content. It's just inevitable. On I don't some know level. how that, I mean, what's really, the other thing I learned this time, which I wasn't quite as clear on, um, is that I, I think I thought that there was some understanding between the studios and the uh, exhibitors, that there was this 90 day window and that, you know, you, you couldn't go ahead of that that window what i realized is that many studios do go ahead of that window or extend it if it suits their purposes um and that the 90 day thing is an average it's a 90 yeah the, the theatrical window is so average. much more flexible than people re- realize i mean it's a lot of times you you don't even realize that you you think that something's in theaters and then all of a sudden it's on VOD. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I've been shocked. The indies do whatever they want. The indies don't have to worry about that so much because they can play movies on on, um, theaters. Actually, I was talking to one distributor who says that if he advances the window too far, he gets a call. He gets a call from the theater owners. They, they look at it and they pay attention to it. And if you go to, this was an indie distributor. So, so there, you, you have to play the second tier movie houses if you're going to go early. Indie distributors are, are playing a little game there where they hope they don't get caught, you know, where they, where they change their minds about when something is yeah, going to show. Yeah, it's a process now because you have the freedom to be more flexible and not always get called on it because it's not always public information. And I mean, it's, but it's true that, you know, if you're a theatrical just, uh, exhibitor, then you need that information because it can have a direct impact on the way that you expect crowds to show up. So if something's available on VOD, they're probably not going to show up. Well, that is the place. issue for the theaters. If you move, there's two things. If you move the window up too far, audiences will have the ability to wait. We're going to wait to see the movie. We're not going to go to the theater. And if you, yeah, then, let me get the, the, let me do the second okay. one. And the second one is the piracy thing, which I found fascinating. The idea that if you, you, there's two waves of piracy. One is at the beginning when it first opens and somebody camcords it or whatever they do to get the video. And then the second wave is when it goes to DVD and there's a pristine copy available. And then that's the second wave of piracy. If you move up that window, 
that second wave of piracy moves up. Yeah. That's a, no, it's, these it's are interesting, interesting issues. We don't, we don't necessarily talk about piracy as much as these other issues because it, it's something that feels very far removed from a lot of our experiences, but it has a tremendous amount of influence on movies. I mean, I, when I was in Mexico recently, I, I saw there were all these like movies from all over the world, and it has, in that part of the world, a really specific purpose because a lot of those movies don't, aren't widely available. People can't afford to buy tickets to movies and so forth. But, you know, if you're a studio that's a big chunk of your business that's going away all over the world and it's really hard to contain. So, you know, it's something that, you know, even if it's not being discussed as much as it's certainly a, a big part of how the business models have to be changing because they have to be responsive to this stuff in order to, uh, to ensure that their movies are going to be available in places they want to make money on them. Well, one, there's a, the, the other issue that I found fascinating was that if you have a movie that's, this was the Paramount model that Jason Bloom did not like when they did it on Paranormal Activity, his argument was that he would have made much more money the old way on that film, theatrically. But what happens is if you take a movie that's not performing and you, you, you go straight, you, you just follow the, the lifespan of the movie in terms of how it, it's hanging in theaters, and then you take that out and go, go to VOD, there are those who think that it's already tainted and it, 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 it won't do well then. And then I would argue that there's probably tons of people out there who weren't paying any attention to it in the first place in, you know, in terms of what did well in theaters or didn't do well. And they might want to discover it on VOD. I find all of this very, the, the experiments have to take place. There has to be some, some intel that informs us. That's what needs to happen. And the other thing is there, that's lost in all this is what, what filmmakers think about it. And I thought it was really fascinating to read about this moment at CinemaCon where you know you have a, a studio executive being somewhat... This is what I was talking uh, about before. Sue Kral at yeah. Warner Brothers yeah, came out and a, made a, this big thing about evolution and the room was silent and dead and cold. And the thing that came right after was Christopher Nolan on Dunkirk which was, of he, course, the, the most exciting footage that anybody saw right, the whole time. Incredible. But, but he, he explicitly, you know, sort of responded to that, right? I mean, he was... Yes, he, he did. He, he immediately said that he actually uh, believes in the theatrical experience. And he said it very emphatically in such a way that the room erupted in applause. And it felt like he was slapping his own boss now i know not his own boss but his own the woman who markets his movies yeah, I've, I've seen christopher nolan praise and adore sue crawl so he knows perfectly well that that she's executing the wishes of her. i don't know how strongly she feels about it personally but kevin sujahara who's the head of warner brothers Believe, is comes from the digital side, and he's spoken out uh, before at CinemaCon. But I, but I think you know, <clears throat> on some level, I think Christopher Nolan should know better because he's made. There, there's a fundamental difference between the experiences that he's trying to create that are very unique to the big screening, and what some movies that might be better suited for a VOD model. You know, and, 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 so there are some that belong in that model, and that's okay. I mean, it, it's it's more nuanced than than what he seemed to be saying. I think what we're all, I mean, he's a filmmaker who believes in the big screen experience, and you know that he's invested in IMAX. That's his thing. 
And I right. have to but say that is not the future of all cinema. No, you know? no, no, no. And then and then you have Michael Bay over in, on the Paramount right. side with the latest Transformers, the sixth, I believe. Um, you May know, as well be the twelfth or the fifth or the you know it it, it because there we also saw the latest Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, I think okay. that's the fifth. Anyway, the the uh, the idea being that they're just going as you know so he shot in 3d with imax cameras that which are huge welded together you know so that he could get 3d and he was going inside you know all he was going inside you know to get these incredible shots you know it, it was it was crazy it was beautiful and some weird technological level michael bay is as good as Jim Cameron at doing some of this stuff, but mm -hmm. he, you know, it, it's a question of whether you're willing to uh, submit to the content or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think it, it is one of those things where, you know, how much can we actually celebrate somebody doing something big and explosive unless it looks good? But it sounds like Dunkirk looks pretty good. It looks insane. So. It's the second time I've seen that seven minutes, which is at the beginning of the movie. They showed it over the holidays in front of Rogue One in IMAX and I saw it over at a theater later and it knocked my socks off and it knocked my socks off again here um, because he's cutting back and forth between Tom Hardy in a Spitfire and, and you've got uh, uh, some rescue boats going to the beach where all these soldiers are stranded and they're getting killed off and there's nothing they can do except keep fighting. They can't really escape. And there's this amazing scene with this little, these two guys carrying a wounded man on a litter where they're running, 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 running to get to the boat that's about to take off. And so you're cutting back and forth up in the air, over the sea, looking at this beach to the soldiers, to the soldiers in the boats with the bombs coming down. And it's, it's I have to say, it's one of the most astonishing sequences of film I've ever seen. So whether or not this movie delivers all across the board, it seems unlikely that it'll be part of the big can lineup where it could get a big reception. It won't be done. AP reported yeah. that Nolan said it wouldn't be done. The guy loves to tinker until the last minute, which isn't necessarily a reason not to get into can, but it all he's never really had big premieres there. I mean, it's not... It's a very specific universe, can and oh, so let's you, go there. Let's let's. I mean, unless you unless you want to go over some of the other um, exciting. I think we've we've gotten through the highlights. We should talk about can a little bit more because we we spent a while the last few weeks trying to get a sense for what we think are going to make the uh, cut this year, and it's still too early to say for certain. Even if somebody says, I'm not going to Cannes, you, you don't really know, because the truth is, Cannes makes its decisions all the way up to the last minute. April and 18th so, or so is usually so, when yeah, they do late it. Late April. And we've gotten means, our badges. We're going to go. We're all approved. Yeah, I mean... You, the, me, and David Ehrlich it, this year, right? The, the question is is not whether or not we're going. It's what we're going to see there. Because I feel like I, some some years I go to Cannes, it's like it's so exciting, it's such a big deal. And then, you know, within a couple of days, people are really disappointed. And there are other years where it feels like you're on another planet. Like, this is just... This is cinematic heaven, you know? And so you, you end up crossing well, your fingers about... Well, hope springs eternal. You go in hoping for... Well, that's the thing. So we've got but Tilda Swinton. We we've got Sofia Coppola. Now, we saw footage of The Beguiled, 
at CinemaCon, and it's a beautiful period piece with Nicole Kidman as a sort of wicked <laughs> school marm, and poor Colin, hapless Colin Farrell in this southern gothic uh, house full of women who's a recovering Yankee soldier who uh, is at their mercy, it seems. Um, it, 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 Kirsten Dunst falls in love with him. Elle Fanning yeah. falls in love it's, with it's, him. It, it looks great. It looks great. And the last time Coppola was at Cannes, she opened in a certain regard with Bling Ring, which wasn't a huge... Hit. She's kind of overdue to remind people that she is one of the great American filmmakers working today. So this seems like uh, some share that uh, view, kind of, nope. some do not. <laughs> well, I, I will clearly be one arguing in favor. Although well, I well, wait until you see the movie, that's, dude. Yeah. Come on. No, but I, that, that's irrespective. Of that. I mean, you know, a great filmmaker can make a weak movie, but I think this she's one, one looks of the like great American it has filmmakers. the potential to be one of her best, and I'm optimistic yeah. as well. Yeah. But there's a lot of other stuff that that looks intriguing. I mean, Hong Sang Soo got back together with Isabelle Huppert. She was the last time Hong Sang Soo had a movie in competition. It was in another country, which he made with her. And and she's in the Michael Haneke also. Exactly. She she'll be. So we'll have Huppert back on our sites again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Haneke would be a no-brainer. Apparently, he is still working on it, but... You know, she told me she thought it would be in Cannes. I mean, yeah. she did. Sony she Pictures did. Classics has him. They, they had him more, and, and that you know went really well for him. So that's, that seems like a lock. And there's all kinds of stuff. Roman just, Polanski? Uh, what do you know about that? Polanski movie's not going to make the cut. But what we've heard is that it's just not done. It's just not going to be there. That's a movie that Olivia Assayas actually wrote the screenplay for. So there is a lot of anticipation around it. It just doesn't seem like it's it's going to make that that going to be at that point where they could even start to consider it as a submission, which is fair enough. There's a few things that we can absolutely take off the table. There's also Logan Lucky. Steven Soderbergh's long-awaited return from retiring from making movies. It's apparently a very fun movie, and Bleecker Street has high hopes for it to perform well this summer, but they, they seem to have made the conscious decision to avoid festivals with it as well because it, it's, it's not the kind of movie that they want that kind of exposure, but certainly not in May that early on when then they will have to rebuild some of the anticipation for it for several weeks. So that, that one's off the table, as is a new film from Jean-Luc Godard, who's been working on that for a while. Apparently that's a 2018 title. So those are, those are some of the, the more higher profile things we know absolutely won't be there. there so is Alexander Payne, I want, um, I they showed that. downsizing at uh, some of the footage at, at CinemaCon. And, um, That's a definite possibility. It's, it's a question mark. And a lot of people think it won't be done in time, that there's still too many special effects that need to be done. There but, are a but lot it, of special I, effects because it has to do with turning people into five-inch people. It's, it looks fantastic matt, yeah. matthew <laughs> matt damon and Kristen wig are a couple who want to become uh able to live on way way more means by be, be, being five inches uh tall and so there's Which a Alexander sequence Payne that's is, hilarious where they get shrunk it's, it's i mean i'm sure it is because it's alexander Payne, like sofia coppola one of the great american filmmakers that there's it's hard to imagine a movie like this not working at all. It's just a question of can he pull off the full sp- scope of it. He's never made a movie quite so ambitious in this genre before. I want to so, see so if Sean Baker makes the cut because we love that's him and we think he's too. great, but he's never he been in the Can universe before. He hasn't. Supposedly, Tangerine was under serious consideration. That's serious good to know. So, so they really, they, they, people were aware of that movie. There was some definite interest in what he was doing there. It played so well. At, at Sundance, and then it, 
came close to, I think, even having serious award season traction as far as a movie like that can. And now he's got a movie that's basically all from the point of view of a six-year-old, but also has a role for Willem Dafoe. The Defoe. Florida Project. Like yeah, that sounds yeah, good. And, and it's, it sounds like that one should be done in time. So and then that, it might be in a sidebar. That would be my bet. And then The Killing of a Sacred Deer, Yorgos Lanthimos, that's one we could see in competition for sure with Colin Farrell reuniting with Nicole Kidman. He's in the club. Really, I mean, exactly. He's one of those guys. He's one of the like... auteurs. King Arthur. There's no. I saw some footage. It is very unlikely that's going to go. Well, I the really thing don't about King so. Arthur that these series have have emerged for a number of weeks because of the release date is is, is while well, after the U.S. one is 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 later in both um, Paris and uh, in the oh, UK. Maybe they'll so show it out of competition or something. Exactly. That's possible. you know they like to throw some celebrities on the red that's carpet true. as much as. So I am really. Curious I didn't like the how- way that looked in the footage that we saw at CinemaCon. It looked oh, yeah. Guy Ritchie doing King Arthur. Here's yeah. the thing: King Arthur is a ca- Camelot. We know I, that I, story, I, and he's messing with. I it. mean, they opened with Robin Hood a few years ago, so you know anything is possible. It's not like a, a, a karate studio. No, I'm not movie. saying it isn't. It isn't possible. I'm saying it doesn't look good. Is what I'm saying. Fair. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Even and then that. Denise Gamza Ergovin, I really want to see Kings that she shot in L.A. as her first uh, English language movie. The very one who did Mustang. Yeah. yeah, I'm very curious about that one. I'm very excited for John Cameron Mitchell's movie. Had Doctor Girls at Parties, supposedly going to the midnight section. This is uh, based on a Neil Gaiman short story that I read recently. It's a really cool kind of sci-fi story, but. You know, JCM's not a genre director. I think it's going to use that as more of a vehicle for this really interesting romance. So I'm super curious about that one. And the insult from Zia Dueri, who made this movie The Attack a number of years ago, about this doctor. That movie was about a doctor in Israel who found out that his wife was a suicide bomber. It was a really great exploration of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And this one seems to be quite strong as well from some of the early screenings. So, I'm so this curious real- to see if Andrew Hay actually becomes a can guy. Part of what goes on so here is the question of, you know, Berlin has discovered him, South by has discovered him, but, you know, Cannes has never really made much of Andrew Hay. And I think he's one of the great, great directors. So He I is hope- really overdue. So, Lean on so Pete is the name of his, his yeah. movie. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a real question. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like it'll be ready in time. It's probably going to be quite strong, judging by his earlier films. And, and it's just a question of whether or not his sensibility is one that jives with the programmers. Same thing for somebody like Trey Schultz. He, he brought Krisha there a number of years ago. Uh, and In a sidebar, though. Right. Yeah. Now he's got a, a somewhat bigger movie with It Comes at Night. It has Riley Keough, Joel Edgerton. looks pretty crazy. I know they've seen it. Don't know if it got in yet, but that's the sort of thing where it's like, could this filmmaker's sensibility translate to a bigger scale, or is it a sidebar? Is it something smaller? You know, it's fascinating to kind of dig into this stuff because it really it gets you talking about movies from a different point of view. I do not think Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets is going to go to Cannes. I saw some footage from that, and it's such. They are such snobs there. Luc Besson is like uh, a schlockmeister to them. They don't take him seriously as a director. It would be a big shock to me if that went in. Well, the thing is, people can start putting money down now because there's plenty of time to to keep following the rumors. People will start hearing back. But as I said before, I mean, you really don't know until the last minute. And sometimes, even at the last minute, you still aren't going to find out for a while because they can add stuff. 
They and Victoria and Abdul time. from Stephen Frears, they showed footage from that. Uh, that's one of the Focus Features uh, movies. Um, and that looks like very mainstream Frears, very much along the lines of uh, Florence Foster Jenkins. And, of course, he's done very well with Judy Dench. She's gotten Oscar nominations twice from him in Philomena and Mrs. Henderson uh, Presents. And then you have, um, he got an Oscar for Helen Mirren for The Queen. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if that's if it would be a good boost for that movie if they could get into Cannes. Frears is in and out with that group. Sometimes yeah, they bring him in, in the sometimes jury. they don't. He's yeah. in the jury. It's, it's the question of how crappy is the movie at the end of the day. And will he listen to the festival when they try to get him to change it? But uh, the, the last one I want to mention from this list, and we, we don't have to go over all of it. but Well, I do Todd Haynes, we, we mentioned. That's on we, your we list. We didn't mention that one. but And that's an Amazon movie. But, but I think it's also worth acknowledging that Netflix, which has not had luck with Cannes in the past, partly because you know they just haven't had a great relationship with them, is uh, Okja, the, the Bong Joon-ho film. With Tilda Swinton, Jake Gyllenhaal, Paul Dano. Well, that's which in is, uh, the Cannes sweet spot for sure. It, you would think so, but it's a question, right? Because it's an it's a Netflix release. They they produced this movie. They've put so that, HBO that put, movies in sure, in the lineup. Sure, so but, I but, I wonder. We've talked about this before. The the Netflix with its whole day and day model. It's a not not less reverence for the theatrical experience. They weren't at CinemaCon. It's uh, inter- it no, of course been, not. Uh, it's interesting that you didn't put Mudbound on here because they sometimes do take uh, Sundance movies, and you know they took Ryan Coogler's Fruitvale and well, they I took, think if they uh, take a Sundance movie, Beasts, we didn't of, wanna, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, we, we played didn't want to include movies that that had already played elsewhere. There, there is often a Sundance movie. It's also possible that a Ghost Story, David Lowry's movie, could go to in certain regard. I, I mean, think so. I think that would be unlikely, a very likely. I've heard Few different possibilities, but we really wanted to focus on, on movies that, that people haven't seen yet. So, and War Machine yeah, would be another test. Another Netflix movie. That's another right. Netflix you put movie. this one in, so, David Michaud. That's a guy that I could see them deciding to auturify. <laughs> auturify. That should be a verb. We should make that a verb. It it's... should be a hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and then the Lynn Ramsey suggest- movie is on the um, Amazon uh, lineup. That exactly. you were never really here is one of their. At a certain points. point, I feel like it, you could just like create Mad Libs with the words Netflix and Amazon and get a good sense for where we're at right now with a handful of other players. Like but they had a lot. Amazon had a game. lot of movies at Cannes last year, so sure. I think it That's will true. not be a surprise if they, they crack. They crack. It's more of a surprise. Just a question of which auteurs they decide to work with and that happen to fall into the Cannes auteur spot. You know, the sweet spot. So I'm going to let you go. Next week, we, we've got m- much more stuff to talk about in terms of can anticipation. We've got the Tribeca Film Festival right around the corner. I'm going to go to San Francisco for a few days. You probably have some other stuff going on. I'm going to be at Tribeca, and then I'll be at Hot Dog. So all kinds of different things to talk about, even before we, we have to dig deeper into can. I like this part of the year, so we, we, we don't get dragged down with the same conversations over and over again. So looking forward you to... You don't have to talk about Oscars, Eric. Yes. Aren't you don't happy? Don't even say it. Don't Aren't say you it. happy? You said it. 